0: We ought to make that our theme song for my next series. It's going to begin in August. It's called Winning Your War. And one of the reasons why a lot of God's people live defeated is because you're fighting the wrong battle. You're looking at the wrong enemy. The Apostle Paul said that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power of the air, which means there is an invisible spiritual realm that is being played out here on the visible planet earth and you and I are a part of that battle. You have God and his will and you have Satan and his will and desires and there is a battle that is happening in the atmosphere as well as playing out on planet earth and we are a part of that battle. The problem is we keep fighting the wrong enemy and so some people say, well I don't believe Satan exists and I don't believe he, da 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 da, well you can believe that all you want but I'm going to tell you if you believe that and you live that way he will keep you utterly defeated for the rest of your life. God has won the victory for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can walk victoriously if you learn how to engage in the war that you find yourself in. So that's going to be happening in August. But right now we're, we're talking about um, 40 days of faith. How does God uh, grow our faith? How does God deepen our faith? So if you have a Bible with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 and if you're a guest with us for the first time, normally we have bulletins with, with connection cards. We, we're not doing that right now because of uh, all the COVID things that are going on. Uh, but I would love to meet you right after the service. I have the gift of hanging out. I'll hang out here. I'd love to talk to you uh, before you leave this morning. So there are outlines that were available to you. Uh, I hope you picked one up uh, on your way in, but the outline will come up on the screen as we uh, journey through this, um, this message. So there are three words that we often use uh, in our English language, faith, trust, and believe. Uh, But in the English language, we often use these things in in a different way. In other words, we we don't look at faith, trust, and believing as one unit. We look at it differently. For example, you can say, well, you know, I really believe that exercise is important for you, but I don't actually do it, right? So you don't believe it enough to trust it to actually do it. Or you can say, well, you know, I really believe that Bigfoot actually exists. And I want to tell you why I believe that, because I actually saw him. Well, at least I thought I did. Uh, when I was uh, about 12 years old, my cousin uh, lived on a farm in Granville. And so there were three of us, and we had just uh, gone to see Bigfoot movie. And uh, so we were spending the night outside. They had an a, a above-ground pool that had this huge... Um, railing around it and deck and all that so but it's like you know a hundred yards from the house so we decided to stay out on the deck that night and as we're out there and we've seen Bigfoot movie and we're just you know we're on high alert because we knew Bigfoot's gonna be around So then all of a sudden, the the, the, uh, trash cans at the back of the house, you couldn't see it because it was in the dark. They started crashing and rumbling. I mean, it's like, what is the heck going on? We just knew it was Bigfoot, okay? So our escape plan was, uh, one of the guys that was with us, his name also was Greg, and Greg lived about 300 yards from the pool to his house across the field. So we decided to make a dead run across the field to his house, outrunning Bigfoot so we would not be consumed uh, or mangled by Bigfoot, and so we set out. We did. We were just running across that field. Nobody's looking behind them. We get to Greg's house, and we narrowly escape. And we just knew Bigfoot. I just, I know I felt him like breathing on the back of my neck, and we're just moving, moving, moving. Well, in terms of time, uh, it turns found, the time. I found out the next day it really wasn't Bigfoot. It was actually um, my cousin's dog that was in the trash cans and. But anyways, I believe, I believe. So you can have faith uh, that an airplane can fly, but until you're willing to trust it enough to get aboard it and and let it take you somewhere, uh, then you really don't have faith that's being exercised, that you're willing to trust something in order to take you from point A to point B. My, My point is this. When you come to the Greek language, which is what the Bible is written in, Koine Greek, The word faith, trust, and believe all comes from the same root word, pasteo. And so they are looked at upon as being linked together. So, for example, you can say, you know, I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that he is the way, the truth, and life. No one can come to the Father but by him. You can believe that, but the Bible says in one place, you know, if, if if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you shall be saved. But the word believe just doesn't mean a mental assent. Well, I believe that Jesus is the way. No, it means more than that. It means you have to put your faith and your trust and your hope in him alone as the payment for your sin debt before God. And that's the way that you incur salvation and entrance into God's presence. So when you you hear those three words, we tend to think of them in the English language as different words. But in the Greek, they're all one and the same. And here's why... This issue of faith is so, so important. As we have said every week, faith is your lifeline to God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so it is your faith, your trust, your confidence in God that releases his power and resources from heaven to earth. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And By the same token, if I do not exercise faith, I have very little confidence or trust in my Heavenly Father, I will shut down the supernatural activity of God in my life because I'm not exercising the faith that I need. For example, there were times when Jesus would go into a town and it says this, that Jesus desired to heal far more people than he could have opportunity to heal because it wasn't because he didn't have the desire but he was restricted and the restriction came because of the unbelief of those who were residing in that town and so faith is very, very important to us, and faith is more than just, you know, well, yeah, okay, I believe God can do it, and, and I think he can, and he might, and, and someday it'll happen. No, it is, it is profound trust and confidence in your Heavenly Father to the point that you are willing to trust him with your entire existence. And so uh, God's goal in growing our faith is to establish and deepen Deepen our trust and our confidence in him in every, hour, every area of our life. So we've defined faith as this. Faith is simply outrageous trust in God. I'm just going to trust God in outrageous ways. I'm leaving all the details up to him. I'm just trusting in what he says, and I'm going to follow what he says. And so faith really is, look, I have faith that God can do it. I believe that he will do it, and I will trust him to do so. That's how those three words, faith, believe, and trust, are intermingled with one another in the Greek language. It's not one without the other. It's all three of them combined as one. So we are looking at the five catalysts by which God grows and deepens our faith. Now, you're going to find this list in the Bible. But if you hear people's faith stories about how they grew in faith or maybe they were were struggling with their faith or they were faltering in their faith... You're going you're gonna to hear these five areas come up every time in the story, and it may be more than one or maybe two of them or three of them, uh, but somewhere along the line, you're probably going to hit on all five. So the very first one we said is, listen, one of the ways that God grows and deepens your confidence, faith, trust in him to the point that it literally changes your life is through practical biblical teaching, right? At some point in my faith story it was, listen, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, never had a Bible in our house, never heard the Word of God, but somebody invited me to church. I went to church. I heard the Bible being taught in a very practical, real way, and I thought, I never knew that was in the Bible. I never knew that could be applicable to my life. And so you began applying those things to your life, and you noticed in your life that as you were applying those things, your life began to change. Your faith began to grow, so the only way our faith grows, Jesus says, is not just by having mere head knowledge of the Bible. You can, you can memorize 10,000 verses and not have any of it translate in a change in your life. You have to apply what you're hearing. Nothing changes until you make application was Jesus' point that we looked at in that message. And so our role is applying what we, what we learn. So we we're attaching a faith factor to each one of these. The faith factor is simply this. When my obedience interchanges with God's faithfulness, my faith begins to grow. Now what we looked at last week is the second way that God grows our faith, and that is through providential relationships. And that word providential simply means these are not relationships that you establish, but these are relationships that God established for you by bringing somebody into your life who was instrumentally used by God to help your faith to grow. Maybe to begin your faith, maybe to help your faith grow, to mature your faith. And so God uses people to move our faith forward. God never meant for us to take this faith journey alone. That's why the Bible talks so much about community because community is vitally, vitally important in our faith walk. So our faith factor last week was when I see God's faithfulness in someone else's life, then it's easier for me to trust God with my own life. So if I sit back and say, well, I don't need anybody in this faith walk. I don't need anybody in this faith journey. I, I can do this all I'm on own," that, That's pure pride. All right? So... God has wired the church so that we need one another. You need my spiritual gifts, I need your spiritual gifts, I need your talents and abilities, you need mine, and so collectively together, we we help move each other forward in our faith journey, but in pivotal or, or um, providential relationships, this is a unique person that God's probably going to bring across your pathway, and that relationship may last a week, a month, a year, or longer. Or, you know, it, that relationship ends and then somebody else comes along and they're going to take you further. And so as I look back over my life, I can name names of people that God has brought into my life who have helped me in moving forward in my faith walk with God. So today we're going to talk about the third catalyst that God uses, and it is called Private Disciplines. Private disciplines. Now, the moment you hear that word discipline, <laughs> you already don't like it, right? That's a horrible word. I don't want to be disciplined. I don't like discipline, right? So, um, because it takes you back to that haunting moment when your parents disciplined you for misbehaving, right? So all I remember is my my dad getting out the belt, or my mom getting the switch, or you know whatever it is for you uh, as you were disciplined as a child, and so we define discipline, you know, these are the things that I know I'm supposed to do, but I really don't want to do it. So so we we hear about discipline in a lot of different areas of life. You know, I, sh- I know I should be more disciplined and get up earlier and eat healthier and, you know, exercise more and spend m- less money and budget better and spend more time with more time with my kids and I should be disciplined to spend more time with my wife and to help out around the house. And the list can go on and on and on until it's, it's kind of daunting. And you can push the envelope so far that you're like, oh, when I think about my, my own personal discipline, I'm just a loser. I'm a slob. I, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm a slacker. And then you meet somebody who's like far more disciplined than you. Now at first you're kind of inspired but then as you get to know them, you're like, oh, you disgust me. Like, and When I'm around you, I feel so guilty about myself. I feel so horrible about myself because I'm just not nearly as disciplined as you are. So let me say two things about discipline uh, out of the gate. The first one is a, a warning, and that is what may begin as a discipline has the opportunity to end up becoming something pleasant or something that is obsessive. For example, some of you um, like my wife, uh, her mom was a beautiful pianist, uh, but her mother played by ear. Like so she she I mean she was she could rip up a piano. So she wanted her daughters to learn how to play piano. And so what happened? They get piano lessons and you gotta sit there for hours practicing, right? Well what if you don't want to practice? You know, you got to have the discipline of practicing and practicing and practicing if you're going to be proficient at playing the piano. And so, you know, your parents are constantly on you, oh, I don't want to play today, you know, my pinky hurts, or, you know, I've got this going on, and I don't have time, and so your parents are constantly, but then after a while, if you continue on, it kind of takes over, and now you do it for pleasure. And now as an adult, you may sit down and play the piano just as something that is, you know, self-soothing. It is just like your own time, your own space. It kind of rejuvenates you. But if you're not careful, uh, you can take something and it can become an obsession, for example, I know people who run. Like if they don't run 10 miles a day, they're just like, "Oh, I, I just can't live if I don't run 10 miles a day." Um, you know, I, I'm I, I spend quite a bit of time in the gym, but you know, people there are people there who are obsessed with it, and and so we call them gym rats because they're just there nonstop, 24/7. It seems like every time you go in there, they're they're there. You can become so obsessed. You can be health conscious, but you can become so obsessed with your health that it becomes an obsession and becomes unhealthy, (laughs) right? So be careful. Uh, Disciplines, when God gives us these spiritual disciplines for us, we're not to become obsessed with them. But we want them to turn into something that becomes a lifestyle, something that becomes pleasurable, something that recharges your battery, something that moves your faith forward and deeper confidence and trust in your Heavenly Father. Now, here's the benefit of this. Discipline always, always results in some kind of progress, some kind of progress. There's progress even if you have a bad attitude about it. (laughs) So you might have a bad attitude about it starting out of the gate, but maybe it'll change for many areas of discipline will lead to your freedom. For example, if you're disciplined with your finances, uh, you will learn how to build financial margin in your life. And when you build financial margin, the greater the financial margin in your life, the less worry, the less stress, the less anxiety about money, and there is greater freedom in your life than if you are not disciplined with money, and you're way over in debt, and now you're filled with stress, worry, and anxiety about your finances, and you can't get away from it because it's with you 24 seven. So you, you see the difference, right? So somebody who's disciplined builds the margin. Those who are not disciplined will not build the margin. Those who are disciplined will not have the fear, worry, and anxiety. They have freedom. Those who are not disciplined will not have freedom, but they have fear, worry, and anxiety about, about their finances. So as we go through these disciplines, Um, It's really about delayed gratification. Sometimes we have to delay things in order to benefit from that which God's trying to do in our lives. But inside of us, we're like, oh, but this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So discipline comes down to I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do even though I really don't want to do it because later on I know it's going to free me up to do what I need to do, and it's going to result in some positive benefits. So here's how I'm going to define this on your outline. Here's how I'm going to define spiritual disciplines. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. Spiritual disciplines is this. Any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled is a spiritual discipline. This is God's goal. God wants you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants you walking in the power of God and learning how to tap into God's resources that he desires to give and he wants to give. But normally he gives those resources as a result of we honoring him. And this is what Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew Chapter 6. So let's start in verse 1, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says this. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is giving practical stuff here, practical application in the Sermon on the Mount. Not just like your pie in the sky kind of thing, but here's 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 how God operates, here's how the kingdom operates. He says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Now, the, 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 the phrase acts of righteousness, this is, these are private disciplines. These are things that you do privately. Now, you may do these things publicly, but you need to do these things privately um, if you're going to move forward in the depth of your faith and your trust and your confidence in your Heavenly Father. Because your Heavenly Father is going to see you doing these things. And notice what Jesus said very clearly. He says he will, he will reward you. You say, well, how's God going to reward me? Well, I'll touch on some of those, although we don't know the full extent of what Jesus was saying when he used the term reward. But there are certainly some benefits that we know uh, that come as a result of these spiritual disciplines in your life. And you say, well, I'm not going to do anything to get a reward from God. Well, that's fine and well, but God says, you know, I will reward you. So when you listen to people's faith stories, you're, you're going to pick up on some of these spiritual disciplines that are a part of their life that help catapult their faith to a whole new level. Because remember, if you don't do these things privately, your faith is going to get to a certain level, and you're going to get stuck. and You're just going to be there. And you say, well, I, I'll, just, I'll just sit there. That level of faith for the rest of my life. Well, that's not God's goal for you. God wants you to step into your destiny, but you're going to have problems stepping into your destiny if you're not willing to move with him. And moving with him, remember, it's going to cause you to go outside of your comfort zone. You've got to learn how to be uncomfortable being being uncomfortable because God's trying to move you up in your, your depth of trust and confidence in him and growing your faith. So here's the first one is this. Private generosity leads to public blessing. Private generosity leads to public blessing. Look what Jesus says. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Now, who are the hypocrites he's referring to? He's referring to the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. And, um, and on the streets... To be honored by men, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Generosity for me began out of gut-wrenching sheer discipline. When I became a believer, and I wasn't raised in a Christian home, my wife was, and, and uh, you know, giving was just a part of their lifestyle, was not a part of my lifestyle, and so I'm thinking, well, why in the world would I give my hard-earned money away? And, and uh, you know, and one of the ways that we tend to give uh, when we see people in need is we give on the basis of, does this trigger something in my heart? You know, do I see this person who's needy, and uh, I may think to myself, well, they probably don't really need anything, and they, they're they're probably, you know, like somebody probably put them out here, and, uh, you know, they just beg. I've seen this on TV where people go out and beg, and they make all kinds of money, and they go and, you know, get in their Rolls, not the Rolls, but their Mercedes after they're finished, so, uh, so I'm not going to give to that, but then I see something over here that triggers my heart, and so, but this is near and dear to my heart, so I'll give to this, and so we tend to base our generosity on what pulls against our heartstrings. So what Jesus is describing here is this. In his day and time, if you went to the synagogue, which was kind of the local church in the different towns, or you went to the temple, people who were born blind, for example, they, they there's no social security. Uh, there's no you know, social um, help out there. So it was up to your family to take care of you. So they would take you and they'd set you on the street corner by the synagogue or by the temple, and there you would beg. That's what you would do all day long. You would beg for food. You would beg for money. And so what happens is that when people were coming to the synagogue to worship on Saturday, that's, that was their Sabbath, or to the temple, they brought extra money. Now, every good Jewish person already gave to the temple and to the priest or the synagogues and the priest to help keep the synagogue and the priest and you know going so that was about you know anywhere usually about 18% of their income then there was temple tax on top of that so about 23% of their income right off the top went to the temple and the priesthood And so they would bring a little extra money so that if they're walking down the street to synagogue or temple and they saw somebody who was there begging and there was kind of a tug at their heart string, they would give what was called alms. We call it an offering. An offering is anything above the tithe. And so they would give alms to that person or maybe to several different people as they were making their way into their place of worship. This is what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus is saying, well, but don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees who when they give to people, they make a big fanfare about. They want everybody to notice. Like sometimes they would ring a bell or sometimes they'd call attention to themselves and they're giving to somebody. They want everybody to notice so that people will go, oh, look how generous he is or look how generous she is. And Jesus says, here's their reward. Their reward is the applause of humanity. And that is all their reward, but Jesus says those who do this in secret, uh, those who are willing to give um, without the fanfare, who give to the needy, who don't announce it, he says they have honored God, and out of honoring God, God's going to give them reward. God's going to bless them for what they have, what they have done, what they have given away. And so Jesus doesn't tell us what the reward is again. Um, but he certainly says that those who honor God privately are going to, it's going to lead to some kind of public blessing. And it's not the public blessing is not like, oh, let me tell you my story, how I gave money to this person and, and God just, you know, God may have you share a testimony just to help build somebody else's faith. But it is God is simply saying, I will always honor you with a reward for what you have done. And then it says, if you want to put it at the bottom line, it's like you can't outgive God, ever. And uh, for, for me, that was a big pushback, right? So when, when, when I was confronted with giving to the church and giving to people, I'm like, mm, no, right? Mm. My wife, God's instrument of use, who became the Holy Spirit, uh, said, oh, yeah, we are. Right? So I did it begrudgingly, but then all of a sudden, I began to see how God was blessing us in return and how, how God was moving our faith forward in deeper and deeper ways. So let me ask you a question, because this is about faith. It's not really about giving. Jesus is dealing with spiritual disciplines as it relates to our faith. So what would happen if you really, really, really believed the words of Jesus? That every time you're faithful in giving to God, and every time you're faithful in being generous to others who are in need, and God brings them across your pathway, and you do everything in your power to meet that need, if you really, really believe that what you have done privately, God is going to return back to you in a way of a blessing, how would that alter the way you view being generous? If you really believe that, it would be huge. I think that one of the reasons we are not more generous is because we don't believe that. Because, again, it's not an issue of money, but it's an issue of your confidence and your faith in your Heavenly Father. In the New Testament, money is always, almost always, a confidence and trust issue, a belief in God, because God doesn't really need your money. But God wants to challenge us in that area, and there's a reason why. So let me get to it. Let's suppose um, you're trusting God, you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're trusting in God for your eternal life. This is, this is amazing, All right? So people say, I, you know, I put my hope, my trust in Jesus, I know that when I die, I draw my last breath, uh, I'm going to enter into God's presence, and, and I'm going to you know, meet God, open arms, just like with the prodigal son, and God's going to say, welcome home, and man, we're going to have a great time together, let's throw a party, let's, let, because you, you were lost, and you were, found and you were Now you're here, and it's going to be a wonderful thing. And we're willing to trust God. The moment we draw our last breath, we are willing to trust God with our eternal existence. Why is that? Because you've got no other choice. It's all done after that. You've got no choice in the matter. (laughs) You are an eternal being. You're going to exist eternally somewhere. So when you draw your last breath, there... You don't have any choice as to what happens to you. And so we're willing to trust God for that. Now watch this. What Jesus wants to drill down on is that, but are you willing to trust God in your day-by-day life and existence? And since God knows that his greatest competitor for for our faith and trust and confidence in him is our money, he's going to tag that. He's going to mess with it. See, this isn't about God needing our money. This is about where are you actually putting your faith, hope, and confidence? Because it's easy to say, well, I'm trusting God for my eternal life. Great. How about your everyday existence? How about let me tag into the very thing that we as human beings have a tendency to pursue and to worry about and our anxiety filled over, and that is our money, our wealth, because we tend to put more faith, more trust, and more confidence in that than we will our Heavenly Father. And the way God knows that is when he asks us for some, we're like, oh, God, no, no. Please don't let him preach about tithing today. I don't want to give. Lord, please don't let, I don't want them offering plates going by me. God, don't bring that person across. Oh, I gave last week, I gave last month, and we get all angst about giving because we think that as we, if we are giving, we're losing. And God says, no, 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 when you give, when you are generous, you are winning because what you have done in private, I will reward you, I will bless you in return. Your life becomes like a river rather than a reservoir where you just get more and more and more for yourself. Instead, you allow God to channel it through you. That's why I said, you can't outgive give God. And so God challenges our faith. In the area of finances, it's no accident the Bible in the New Testament alone uses 2,000 verses talking about money and possessions. When It doesn't even come close to that amount of verses when it comes to faith and trust and heaven and hell and all these other issues that we, we are concerned about. And so that's why money is a faith thing because eventually God's going to come and he's going to challenge you in that area of your life because it is an issue of faith. And so that is why when you're challenged to give, all of a sudden there's this tension that begins to build up within you. Like, uh, again, God, are you kidding me? I helped that person last month and the month before and now they're coming back and i uh, And God says, well, but you're the one I've chosen to meet the need. I give it up. Trust me. You're going to honor me in your obedience, and I will reward you in return. And so God wants to be the source of your confidence and your trust and your security, not in our our finances. So how do you become a more generous person? Well, First of all, you become a priority giver, which that simply means is I make giving a priority. Because if I don't, it never will be, right? So if, you know, if, if I say, well, uh, you know, if something triggers my heart, okay, I'll give to that. But you don't really make a priority. You don't really have a plan for how you're going to give and be generous. Then it probably isn't going to happen very often for, for you because you're going to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear towards the needs that are out there there are only five things you can do with money. You can spend it, pay taxes, repay debt, save it and give it. And that's the order in which we do it. Right? Is it true we spend what we on what we want, we give Uncle, Uncle Sam what we think he doesn't deserve, we repay our Visa on the minimum as we can and we save what we can and then when it comes to giving to the Lord, we say, "Well, Lord, I wish I really wish I had a little more, but uh eh. You're on the short end of the stick. And God says, Let's, how about we reverse this? Um, generosity never happens until you make it a priority. The second step is percentage giving, starting giving God right up front. God talks about, you've heard me talk about many, many times, the first fruits. This is what God asks of us. He asks of us the tithe, the tenth, the first fruit, and he says, then you You trust me for the rest. You're going to live on the 90%. And by the way, the tithe is not the ceiling. It's merely the floor. And so we trust God. And you say, well, I can't do that. It could never happen. That's why you need to take our class in the fall called Financial Peace. It'll teach you how to build financial margin even while you're giving money away because that financial margin will take away the fear, anxiety, and worry and angst about money and God will see what you're doing in private. He will honor that and he will reward that and he will do things you never thought he could do financially. I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony out of my own personal life but I know many of you could also give testimonies. In fact, if you hear people talk about their faith walk with God, This is the one area in which they will talk about it a lot. And so here's here's the deal in life. The richer people become, the more their income ratchets up, the less they give all across the board in America. The more money they make, the less they give, especially a percentage It's one thing to give 10% out of a $50,000 income. It's a whole different story when you're giving 10% out of a $500,000 income. And so they just ratchet it down. And then thirdly, you become a progressive giver. I want to be more generous next year than I am this year, right? Because I want my my life to be a, a river of generosity, not a reservoir. And so when you mature in your faith and you begin telling your story... Listen, when you stop viewing money as the goal and look at it as a tool in the hands of God to deepen your faith, trust, and confidence in him, then you view money from a whole different perspective and you view life from a whole different perspective. And it is at that point uh, you say, you know what, I'm not going to trust in riches, but I'm going to trust in the one who richly provides because I have that much trust and faith and confidence in the Lord. Alright, here's the second private discipline. You just like get off that giving. Okay. Private prayer, private prayer leads to public peace. Here's what Jesus goes on to say. And when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will what? Reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you have need of before you even ask him. Now, the type of prayer Jesus is talking about here is not the kind of prayer that most of us do most of the time, and it's what we call on-the-go praying, right? You're in your car driving, you're praying. Nothing wrong with that. You ought to be in the spirit of prayer. I'm going to try to be in the spirit of prayer all day long, but that's the only prayer. He's talking about you're going to take one of the most precious commodities you have, time, and you're going to carve out a space of time, and you're going to give that to your heavenly Father alone. All right, so... um, You may, you know, you may run out of time. uh, Well, you're going to run out of time before you run out of money. I can tell you that. So he says, then your heavenly father who sees you, he says he will reward you. And uh, this is not some mystical um, devotional time. Uh, There is just something very, very honoring to God when we say, Lord, I'm going to take one of my most precious commodities is time because here's what people say all the time. I never have enough time, never have enough time. So, so busy, so, so busy. So much in my calendar, so much on my calendar. I can't put one more thing in my calendar, one more thing in my calendar. Guess who gets pushed to the back of the calendar? God does. So we try to make up for that by saying, well, I'll, I'll pray while I'm driving to work or you know, I'm going to pray while I'm going to school or I'm going to pray while I'm... And that's the only praying we do. The problem is you have a real, real difficult time hearing from God when you're always praying on the move and there is distractions and noise all around you. You're in a very difficult time hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And remember, God is all about relationship. It's not just what I can get out of God. It's about relationship. Most of our praying on the go is all about God, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, protect me, protect me. And I need this, this, and this. And God loves you to pray about those things, but it's not the only kind of praying that we do. And so Jesus comes along and says, listen, when you take a slot of time, and it's, it's, you're not taking this slot of time because there's an emergency in your life. You're not carving out this time because the world's coming to an end. You're just carving out this time because you want to be with your heavenly Father. He says that is so honoring to God, and God will reward you for that. So what are the rewards? Well, there are a lot of things, but I'm going to give you two of them real quick. Here's the first one is, it is the realization that God is with me. And by the way, this is the antidote to fear. Anytime God deals with fear, people say, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm afraid. God always responds in the same way. I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. It is amazing how you spend time with your Heavenly Father and all of a sudden, um, in a very uncanny way, you just are so um, filled with this assurance that God is with you. And knowing that God is with me is what eliminates my fear. Because what's God's goal? He wants you to deepen your faith and your hope and your trust and your confidence in him so that you will listen to him and then respond in obedience to what it is he's saying to do. As Jeff said to the seniors, my first verse I memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, to 6. Trust in the Lord with all, your own, with, your, with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. So I know that God's walking with me in the, in, down that pathway. Here's the second thing is the realization that God sustains me. This is the antidote to worry. I, I, I could go on and on with these benefits. carving out time, spending it with God. Um, but here's two, two big ones. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verses 25 through 33, Jesus talked about what? Worry. Why are you worrying about these things? Why are you worrying about where you're going to live, where, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear? Why are you worrying about these things? Do you not know your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things? Look at the lilies of the fields and the bird of the air. Does he not care for them? How much more will he care for you? And then Jesus wrapped it up and he says, Seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, Jesus is saying, carve out the time. Spend it with your heavenly father because he is the source of your power and your resources. And everything you have need of, he can and will supply. So stop worrying about what may or may not ever happen. Why would you waste your time in worrying? And so private prayer brings public peace. Because What happens when you exchange worry, fear, and anxiety? You're at peace. You're at peace. And so when things are going on around us, you know, the, the, especially things that are happening in our, in our society today, I don't have to be all you know, w- fearful and worried. and Oh, what if this happens? Oh, what if that happens? Oh, what if, what if this person doesn't get reelected? Oh, my heavenly father is sovereign over his creation. Nothing goes outside the realm of his control. Nothing catches him by surprise. If I put my faith, hope, and trust in him as a child of his, nestled up in his lap, I can walk with peace. And when you walk with peace in the midst of turmoil, it makes a lot of people nervous, especially believers. They're like, well, don't you understand what's going on? Don't you read the headlines? Aren't you watching the news? Don't you see what's going on? Absolutely, I do. But I'm not putting my hope and my trust. but as, as someone once said, God doesn't ride on the back of an elephant or a donkey. God came into the world through his son, Jesus Christ, to take over. Amen. This is his kingdom. And his kingdom will, will expand itself as God's will and desire. And you and I are a part of that process. And we'll be talking about winning your war and how, we, how that all fleshes out. But I'm just here to say to you, listen, if, if you... If, Sometimes God's going to ask you to do something and you're going to like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Well, if that's your attitude, then don't ever have kids. Right? So those of you who are parents, you you know this. Um, It's amazing how you ask your children to do something that they're not willing to do. But as a parent, you know the difference between the wisdom of a parent and the wisdom of a child. Like when it comes to bath time, I Take a bath, I'm not dirty, I know it's smell. It's amazing how people who are dirty and smelly never realize it about themselves. So you argue and argue you finally get them in the bathtub. And because you as a parent, the wisdom is, you know, hey, it's not just about getting them clean. It's not just about ridding them of the odor, but it's about good hygiene that leads to personal health. And so because the wisdom of a parent overrides the child, you get it. Finally, you get them in the tub, and then you have to argue to get them back out because they're having such a good time. Do you not see this relationship between our Heavenly Father and we? We are the kids. I don't want to do that, God. God's saying, I know you don't understand. I see the wisdom of this. But I'm telling you, if you do it my way, it will work out for your greatest benefit. Here's the last one. and uh, This is about fasting. This is one of the things we don't do much, uh, most people. Private fasting leads to public wisdom. Private fasting leads to public wisdom. And so Jesus went on to say in verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites, for they disguise their faces and show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you honor Him, He's going to reward you. So what is fasting? Fasting is a deliberate abstinence from some form of physical gratification for a specific period of time in order to achieve a greater spiritual goal. Now, when we think about fasting, we automatically think about a food fast, and that may be, uh, may be it. You might be fasting from food, or you can do all kinds of fasts. You can fast from TV, you can fast from binging on Netflix, like some of you or name nameless are doing, and, or maybe from social media and, and the news, which I would suggest in our day and time right now, you need to fast from social media and the news. Uh, you'd be a whole lot happier person. So when you fast, you say to yourself, you know what, I, I need to hear from God. Here's the key about fasting, is that if you want to experience spiritual breakthrough in your life, it will only come by fasting. Jesus said there are some things that only come by prayer and fasting, and that's one of them. You're, you're going to find spiritual breakthrough because you fast. So let me, very quickly, I only got a couple minutes, a few minutes left to explain why that is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 23. I want you to listen very carefully to what the Apostle Paul says. Uh, he says to his readers, he prays that they would be sanctified and preserved in their spirit, soul, and body. Now notice the order. Not body, soul, and spirit, but spirit, soul, and body. And the reason he, he uses that order is because God has designed us to live from the inside out, not the outside in. See, if I look at myself as nothing but a body that houses a soul and a spirit, then I will spend my entire life caving into the appetites of my body. And your body has some very unhealthy appetites. And so what we do is we try to change these things, these coping mechanisms, these addictions, these habits, by, by changing our surroundings or changing our circumstances or, or, or you know, uh, changing our environment. If you want to change in life, it works from the inside. It's spirit living through the soul, living through the body. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. So your spirit is your God contact. It's your God awareness. Your soul, mind, will, and emotion is your your self-awareness. And your body is your environmental awareness. And the reason why so many people have messed up bodies is because you got messed up soul, and the reason you have a messed up soul is because you have a messed up spirit. So what we try to do is we try to correct the flesh with the flesh and wonder why it doesn't work. See, um, if, you wanna, if you really want to change and have spiritual breakthrough, is that you have to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Remember the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, there's only one or two ways you can live your life, either under the control of the flesh or the, under the control of the Holy Spirit. The flesh is those, those bodily appetites, those, those um, thought processes that were coping mechanisms to get what you wanted and desired and thinking it would do you well and benefit you, only to find out that it doesn't. So we try to, we try to change a lot of things about our our environment and our body or whatever, but we're we're not tagging into the correct area. So let me me give you the process this way. Um, I love popcorn. Absolutely love, love, love popcorn. And so here's what you cannot do with a popcorn kernel. You cannot put it in your mouth and bite down on it with your teeth in order to find out what's in the center of it or it'll break your tooth. But here's the amazing thing about popcorn kernel. In the center of a popcorn kernel, there is moisture. And when you put that popcorn bag into the microwave, the microwave heats up the center of the moisture of that popcorn kernel until it explodes from the inside out, and it, 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 it explodes off the outer shell, and then you have that beautiful piece of popcorn, right? And so this happens thousands of times over, and you have this bowl full of popcorn. And so what what has happened is that the, the outer shell has kept in containment that which is in the center... And so this is this is kind of our relationship with God. We come into this God environment of fasting, and so God begins to heat up our spirit. He begins to inflame us from the inside out so that what's from what's on the inside, the person of the Holy Spirit begins to inflame us and begins to heat us up and begins to break the outer shell or those things that have held us in captivity, those things that have held us into addiction, and and those things that we want to change, and we try to change, and we like to change, and and we promised God that we would change, only to find that we had no ability to change it on our own. And we and what God wants to hear is, Lord, I can't do this. I've tried everything. I've tried everything to stop this. I've tried everything to, to ward off this, this problem that I have. And so when you come to yourself and you humble yourself before the Lord and you fast and you say something like Jacob said, Lord, I'm going to sit before you and I'm going to fast and I'm going to stay here until, Lord, you bless me because I need this spiritual breakthrough, I cannot do it on my own, and I can assure you that over time, God will do that. You see, some of the reasons why you guys have, and I have had, physical ailments... And you run to the doctor and you want a pill to make it all go away, but it's not a physical problem, it is a spiritual issue. For example, you cannot as a human being harbor in your spirit anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and jealousy and envy without it coming out through our physical body hypertension, and stomach issues, the list goes on and on and on. It is a spiritual issue. Until you get to the root cause of the spiritual issue, you're never going to experience freedom from the physical ailment. Does that make sense? So sometimes we got to get before the Lord, and we just got to fast and say, God, I don't understand why this is happening, why this is going on, but I really want to get a handle and a grip on this. Isaiah 58, 6, and I'll close with this. It says, listen, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loosen the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? In other words, Jesus says, the Bible says that, listen, we are living with spiritual handcuffs And we're trying to get ourselves free, and the enemy keeps us encapsulated in those handcuffs. And we're we're trying to raise our hands and worship, but we can't get them up there. and, and, And it's hindering us, and it's hindering our walk. And God says, listen, it is through fasting and prayer that I want to unshackle the handcuffs so that you not only walk in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you also walk in the freedom that he came to establish for your life. And some of those handcuffs will never come off apart from prayer and fasting. And God says, what I see you do in private, that honors me. And I will reward you by setting you free. So here's our faith factor for this morning. When God blesses my generosity and he answers specific prayers or speaks a word of wisdom to me, my faith is strengthened. My faith is absolutely strengthened. Now, our mission of our church is to help you take your next step with God. So let me just give you your next step in these areas. Generosity. Um, Maybe you need to begin as a priority giver. Maybe you just need to progress in that. Um, Maybe, you, you know, you're struggling in this area of being generous and God would say, listen, just listen to me. I'll bring, the, I'll bring the need across your pathway, and I want you to meet the need, whatever it is. Don't balk on it. Don't question me about it. Just do it, because when you do that in private, you are honoring me, and I'm telling you, I'm going to reward you. And there are many, many different ways God can reward you. And so it's to remind us that God that my confidence is not in my wealth. My confidence is in my Heavenly Father, who has the ability to supply me with every single thing I need, and the more generous I become, it starts spilling out all over the place so that I come to the point in my life, I'm no longer trusting in riches. I'm trusting in he who richly provides. When it comes to prayer, I don't know which, where you are in your prayer life. Do you carve out time for the Lord? And I'm not saying you have to carve out an hour. I, I, listen, if you just start with five minutes and did that daily, that would be better than nothing. And you're just, and let it grow. Now, here's the, here's the mistake, people. Know. You get under conviction, so, okay, Pastor, you got me, I don't pray enough. And so, okay, Lord, and you get up the next day and you like, try to do it for an hour and then you skip the rest of the week and then you try to come back. No, no consistency is the key. And so, well, what do I do during my prayer time? Can I just make one suggestion to you? All right, let's say this week you start with Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33 that deals with worry anxiety and fear, and you just read those verses. Read the same ones for the next week and just ask God, where does this intersect with my life? Where, where is my heart filled with worry and why? Lord, I want to overcome this, and I, I don't want to worry anymore, and I, I want to put my hope and my faith and my trust and deeper confidence in you. And, Lord, what's, what are the steps I need to take? I need to take in order for that to happen in my life. Listen, God doesn't stamp out cookie-cutter Christians. He, he takes where you are and what your past and your experiences, and he, he begins to, to put together a plan specifically for you. You. Not necessarily for me, but for you, because God wants you to grow in your faith and your hope and confidence in him. And what about fasting? You may feel like giving up on a problem, but if you haven't fasted over it yet, you really haven't done everything you can do. So here's my suggestion. You take a notebook. All right, just take a notebook, draw a, a line down the center. And on this side, on the left side, you just want to put down and say, God, these are the things, and be very specific. Lord, these are the things I need breakthrough. I've tried to break this habit forever. I can't do it. You know, I, I Lord, I I I'm, I need healing in my soul uh, over this issue, or I I really am trusting you to so that I could be a witness to my mother, and I really want to see her become faith in Christ. Whatever it is, be very very specific, and then just start fasting and praying. I mean, you may just fast like one day a week. You you set that day aside for a fast. It might be a media fast. It might be some. Other. And so the purpose of the excuse me, of the fast is that you just become more in tune with God so that you begin to hear what the Spirit of God is saying so that the Spirit can speak and give you the instructions by which you are going to, uh, result, that's going to result in a breakthrough in your life and thus freedom. And then once that happens, you just write that on the other side of the column, exactly what God said, what, he did, what you did, and what was the result. If if you do that, I guarantee you, if you would do that just for the next six months, and then you come back and see me and and tell me what God's done in your life, I'm going to tell you, he's going to give you some breakthrough and areas you never dreamed possible, because God can do more in five minutes than you could ever do in five years on your own. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you. We bless you. Um, We are so, so grateful that you are so patient, you are so kind with us, and so patient, and just, uh, Lord, we thank you for um, these spiritual disciplines, Lord, uh, you know in our hearts, in our minds, that when we think about being generous, and praying, and fasting, Lord, that there's just like a pushback within us that says, "Ah, but I I really don't want to do those things, but Lord, we know, um, God, they are so, so beneficial to us in um, deepening our faith, our trust, and our confidence in you. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has never put their hope, their faith, their trust, their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ to be Savior and Lord of their life. To look to him as the only one who can cancel the sin debt that we have incurred against you. And by putting our hope, faith, and trust in you alone, that that debt can be canceled. We can have relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will now invade our spirit to give us a newfound power and ability to walk with you on a day-by-day basis, to experience spiritual breakthrough in our lives, to have our our hearts so totally changed that generosity, we wouldn't look at it as something that we dread, but as something that we look forward to because, God, we know that That It's just going to so transform our hearts and our lives as we become more and more generous with the things that you have blessed us with. So Lord, I pray for for every person, whether it's watching online or here in the auditorium, who has not put their faith, their hope, and their trust in Jesus, that right now here in this place and out there in their homes, that they would do so today. Trusting in him and him alone to be Savior and Lord of their life inviting him to do just that to forgive them over their sins to be lord of their life to to giving surrendering control of their hearts and their lives over to him so that they will begin walking this newfound walk with Jesus to learn from him to apply the principles that he's given us for everyday life that our lives might be made new and so we thank you for that in Jesus name amen Let's stand together as we sing, as we close out our time.